listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone else, take your Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I have a question for you. Have you ever tried to take the countertop off of a wooden island in your own kitchen? Okay, you may be thinking, wow, David, that's a very specific what if have you ever kind of question. And uh, I have, and I have a story for you. I have a story for you that I want to take a little bit of time and share this morning because it really sets up what we are going to see in our text from 1 Thessalonians 5. But this week, we were getting some new countertops installed into our our new kitchen island that we have. We had one island. Now we have two islands that are in an L shape because my wife is such an amazing interior designer. She thinks of these things that I could have never thought of. And it's truly a, a work of art. She's really good. She just doesn't have a husband that can always execute what she wants to execute. And, uh, and to no fault of her own. But she's helped me along. Where I've, I've done a lot of things over the years and getting a little better, but I still struggle from time to time. And she's like, hey, look, I just need you to take this wood countertop off of the wooden island, and then they're going to install a new countertop. So it'll take like five minutes. You just have to unscrew it. I heard this all weekend, of course. Like, oh, yeah, it'll just take like five minutes. Can you do that? Can you do that? Um, You know, and I was like, oh, yeah, of course, of course. And so Monday morning rolls around. I drop the boys off at school. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot to take the countertop off. It'll only be five minutes. So uh, let me just run as I'm running into the office. I'll just stop by and, and do that. And I look at it. There wasn't four screws to unscrew. There was like... 24 screws to unscrew, but I have a power drill, right? No big deal. I start working on it. 15 minutes later, I get the first screw out, okay? It's <laughs> because it's a very like narrow little groove that you have to stick it up, and it's like, oh, so I'm like, all right, well, I can, I can get this done. Like, I, I start moving it around different, different angles, of course. Before you know it, I have the entire island taken apart. Because, you know, I'm a man, and that's what you have to do. You have to take up the whole part, the whole thing apart, right? Julie's upstairs. This is Monday morning, and she was getting ready to go to the dentist office. Um, and she's hearing a lot of banging. And, like, <laughs> I ended up not only having a power drill, but ended up bringing out a mallet because I figured out if I hit the top of it, some of the screws that I loosened up would come out that way. And anyway, it was getting bad, okay? It was, it was not looking good. She was getting concerned, rightly so. And she's like, David, why is this all taken apart? They're showing up here in a few hours, and they have to put this countertop on, and they're not going to do this with it all broken apart like this. She's right. I'm like, okay, okay. Like, I can, I can figure that out. So she leaves. She leaves to go to the dentist, and I'm like, all right, Monroe, let me turn on a cartoon for you. Daddy's got to fix this, all right? <laughs> Daddy's got to. And, and Dawson was taking a nap. And as, as this was going on, I'm in my back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know what, this might have to just be my day off. I might just have to take the whole day <laughs> to, to get this work, but I can fix this. So Julie said, put it back together and leave it alone. Don't break it. She said that for a reason. <laughs> she had some foresight. But I was already so in deep on this. I was like, no, I'm going to ignore my wife. I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> And I will go to find another tool. So I found a little gardening tool. 
that I was like, this looks like it could be a mini crowbar. And I started prying off the sides. And the first two sides shockingly came off fine. And then the third side did not come off fine because I cracked the entire frame like into two pieces. And so I was like, oh, no, this is bad. But let me get this other piece off, this, this fourth top part off. Didn't get that one off smoothly either. More residual wood was stuck on there. So now I'm really, I'm, I went from being like waist deep to neck deep. Like Julie's gone. Now Dawson wakes up. So it's like, oh no, Dawson's up. Monroe, you know, it's my four-year-old. Can you watch Dawson in the other room? Like, like Monroe's coming in, through the, coming in clutch for me. Like my four-year-old's watching my nine-month-old. Meanwhile, the clock is ticking and the countertop guys show up like an hour early. And not only that, but I know my wife is coming home. And, and like I have now, I've gone from like a screwdriver to a mallet to a crowbar. Now I'm going and I'm getting a sander and a saw to, to repair this thing and to fix this mess that I put myself into. And by God's grace, you know, somehow, some way, I salvaged it. You know, there was a lot of wood glue. When Julie came home, she saw like sawdust everywhere and chunks of wood and, and a, a crying baby and a hungry four-year-old. Like, what are you, what is, what's going on, right? And, and the countertop guys are finishing the other one. But I, but I, by God's grace, somehow, some way, Jimmy rigged it back together and, and it's there. Um, just don't put all your weight on it when you come over to our house next time, all right? <laughs> But I say all of that to say, okay, what a, what a wild story. Now you know you never want David repairing anything in your house. I'm not your guy. Some of you could have been like, I could have come over and done that in five minutes for you, and I know, but I have to learn these things too. But if you haven't figured out why I gave you that long story, you will as soon as we look at our text this morning. Let me give you a hint, though. When we try things, we try to do things that weren't meant to be done, i.e. dislodge a top uh, off of your wooden island, wooden frame that was never meant to be removed. We try to do stuff like that. We aren't just making life harder, but we get ourselves into deeper and deeper trouble. Okay? God has created this world. He's told you who he is. He's told you who you are and what you were created for. He's made his will very clear. But we have a tendency to ignore the person who's giving us sound wisdom and advice, right? And to just do it our way anyway. And one thing leads to the next. One mistake leads to another. And then your crowbar turns into a saw. And the saw turns into a sander. Now, in this situation, it was either buy a new frame, which I didn't want to do, or just figure out a way to make it happen. But that's a wooden accessory for a kitchen. In real life, when you reject God's will, it leads to blood, sweat, and tears. We call these things consequences. And it doesn't always end as happy as somehow my story, my ridiculous story ended here last week. So what we're about to read is very good news to all of us amateur craftsmen in the game of life. And as we close this series, Paul has been challenging and reminding the Thessalonians about everything we need to do to build one another up in love. So he's talked about sex. He's talked about work. He's talked about how to think about the end times and Jesus' return. And then we, over the last few weeks specifically, we've been given a lot, right? 
He's exhorted them to respect those who labor among you, those who serve and lead you, to love your leaders, to love everyone else, to be at peace among yourselves, to admonish the idle, to encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, always seek to do good to everyone, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't stop, right? Don't quench the spirit, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Whew. So how are you doing on all of that? Are you surviving? Or do you ever feel like you're just standing there with a mallet in one hand and a saw in the other hand with broken chunks of wood and a crying baby over a cartoon? Just trying to not make those who love you the most frustrated and to solve and fix the stuff that you broke? Here's the truth about this passage. And it's one of the best kept secrets in life. It's not all up to you. Life is not all on you. Your spiritual journey, your walk with Christ, if you try to do it all, you are going to fail and you are going to feel it. In real life, when we make one bad decision that leads to the next bad decision, and we don't usually fix it ourselves, maybe we think we have, but it'll just fall apart a little later. We can get ourselves neck deep when we try to do things our way and force our will. But in real life, and this is where the illustration really breaks down, it doesn't usually just all work out in the end. The decisions you make about your life can't just be replaced by buying another $400 frame. You need God to intervene in your life. And that's the good news that I have for you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You may have heard the phrase, it's not you, it's me. Usually when you hear that, it's kind of a dreaded phrase to hear, right? Like, ooh, no, I, I didn't want to hear that. As bad as those words sound, I have a much better phrase for you today from 1 Thessalonians 5. It's not you, it's him. It's not you, it's him. In God's word today, the points are not about anything that we do. Not at all. So this sermon is going to sound a little different than it normally does. Because all the points are about, are about what God does for you. It's not you, it's him. So look at verse 23. This is God's word, this is life. So follow along with me as I read verses 23 through 28. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This morning, the text is really shouting one thing in all caps to every single one of us this morning. And it all hinges on verse 24. You can look at it right there. It's, it's right in front of you. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So I told you this was a different sermon. I'm going to go ahead and just give you the only application this text really has right now. 
Here it is. What is this saying? Take a step back. Breathe. Humble yourself. And let your God be God. Let go of whatever it is that you're grasping onto and rest in him. You have to open yourself up to rely on God. And some of us aren't used to that. In everything else in life, right? Like you're the one getting things done. You're the one holding things together for everyone else, for the family, you know, raising the kids, helping other family members that have health problems. You know, you're trying to get ahead in your career pursuit. You're paying all the bills. Right now, we're talking about your spiritual and your mental health. Because Paul says in verse 23, your spirit, your soul, and your body. It's not all on you. It's him. And Paul has given us a lot to apply. The last few weeks have been loaded. But now it is all about God. So we can breathe easier. There's only one more application to this. In all of these things we've been talking about over the last month, the key to unlocking them all in your life, it's going to happen through God's empowerment and God's strengthening. He will surely do it. So today's outline is only about God, who God is for you. And I'm going to ask you to set down everything else that you might be grasping onto, lay down the saw, lay down the mallet and the makeshift crowbar, whatever those things are in your life, and soak in these truths about your provider and your sustainer. The first point today in the text from verse 23 is God will sanctify you completely. Now, Paul is closing this entire letter with the same theme that he had from the start. Because if you remember back from the very beginning verses of this letter, he was talking about your personal holiness. And in this letter, we've talked about your holiness a lot. To sanctify you completely, that means, that means to become holy, set apart, like, like God. And another way to think about it is growing in Christ's likeness. To sanctify is to become more like Jesus in your life. And the wilder and the crazier this world gets, honestly, the easier it is to stand out with joy, with peace, and be unique. That's what it is to be holy, to be sanctified. I once read that sanctification is becoming in practice what we already are in perfection. And that's a great way to define sanctification. Romans 28 is a very familiar verse. And if you want to just turn in your Bible with me to Romans, Romans 8, 28 for a second, I want us to look at this. Because, again, we are seeing here in 1 Thessalonians, just like we see here in this text, an already but not yet promise. So look at verse 28 in Romans chapter 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's that already but not yet promise. 
If you have repented of your sin, turn to Jesus Christ, to the cross of Christ for redemption and forgiveness, he saves you. He has finished the work. And those who he has called, past tense, he is justified. That's present tense. And those whom he has justified, he is also glorified. That's a past future tense. None of us have been glorified yet, right? We're still alive. We're still down here. But it's as good as done. It's as, I mean, you are in the, in the palm of his hand. He has glorified you. We just haven't realized the full reality of it yet in our lives. But if you know Christ now, your life journey is doubling as this process of sanctification. Becoming who you were created to be. An image bearer of the glory of God. That's an already but not yet. And we often think, though, that to be holy, I have to achieve this gold standard of righteous living. It means I have to abstain from sexual immorality. I have to make the best choices constantly to the point that I don't ever even want to make the wrong choice. In our minds, that's a lot of times the concept we have of holiness. And that's partially true. But there is another layer to that. And Paul is teaching it right here in this text today. Holiness is not manufactured by us or stirred up by our own good nature. That's not the way it works. It's Christ's work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul has been making that point over and over again. God is the one who calls you. He's the one who saves you. He's the one who sanctifies you. Now you have to do your part. But your part is living by grace through faith and simply walking with him. When you walk with him, what happens? Well, you see how much he loves you. You feel his peace. You feel his joy in his presence. And when you see how much he loves you, that inspires you to love others. You love him more and you shine his glory wherever you go. That's how he sanctifies you completely. Think about it this way. I am the potter. He is the clay. He's, he's the, excuse me. <laughs> He is the potter. I am the clay. <laughs> much better. Much better that way. <laughs> you are made in the image of God as a living, breathing, miniature statue of him in his world that he created. And now that image can get very marred in this dark, fallen world that is cursed with sin from the rebellion of man. But through Christ... God is saving and restoring and redeeming broken people. So if you are a Christian this morning who has found the grace of God, you are one of them. That's your identity. He is the potter and you are the clay. He is shaping you, molding you. Over time, he is crafting you into a closer image of himself. That's an amazing thought. That's what God is doing for you. And one day, we are told right here, he will finish you completely. It's a promise. Now you have the choice, right? You can either be a stubborn, hard piece of clay, or you can be an open, mendable piece of clay that he can shape. You can submit to the hands of the Father. 
And this is your part in this. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. The, the enemy is going to whisper those lies. Oh, you'll never be as holy as they are. You'll never measure up. You just don't have it in you to do more or to be more. Don't settle. Stop making excuses for yourself. Raise the bar on your own goals and aspirations. Now, that in part may sound familiar. You may have heard part of that before. Because in the world, they get half of this right. They get the, you're amazing. You go, girl. You're a queen. You're a prince. Like, you're an alpha male. You got this, man. Take the bull by the horns. Crush it. Our world shouts that message, right, an inspirational message. It'll take you to a certain extent. There is self-promotion. There is self-help. There is the pump-up-your-own-ego crowd out there in the world. But do you see the difference here between that and what we're seeing in God's Word this morning? The world tells you it's you, you, you. You make it happen. You can accomplish anything you set your heart and dreams on. But it's not you, it's him. He is the potter, you are the clay. So raise the bar, don't settle, stop making excuses, wake up, love people, stand out, make a difference. That's holiness. Your life should pop. But again, you have the understanding of, I'm not manufacturing this all directly of my own will. I'm simply obeying him. And then he's doing the work in me. I mean, this still means you dress for success. You do your best for God's glory. You do all of that with the mindset, though, that it's not about me putting myself out there to accomplish my dreams. Instead, it's I want to do this for God and through God, through the power that he gives me. It's, it's that my confidence and my boldness comes from my great God and Savior who's given me a promise. And when you have that mindset, what you get is peace. You don't feel the pressure like you did before. Look at verse 23 one more time. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. It's not you, it's him. And we're going to have another reason here to rest in God. You want to hear another reason to rest in God? Let's continue by looking at the next truth. Number two... He will keep your spirit, soul, and body blameless. Archaeologists have discovered tombstones from Thessalonica that date all the way back to the first century. And I think it's fascinating that there's, some, there's a phrase, there's a word, actually, that kept popping up on all these tombstones they found from first century Thessalonica. The Greek word was amempatos. Amepatos is the Greek word that we have right here in this verse for blameless. I don't even think that's a coincidence. I really don't. These words of Paul had a profound impact on this church. So much so that we had all these tombstones with the word blameless on them. That's how much it impacted this church. They, they, they completely revolutionized their own identity of themselves. I do not think that's a coincidence. We have been saved, church, by the same God and the same Savior. See, when, 
you are in control of your own life. You're living for your own pleasure. You're living for your own glory. What happens? Maybe you have some success. Maybe you don't. But no matter what, even if you have all the success in the world, you're still looking over your shoulder, right? There's still more pressure to do it again and again and again. So you are restless. And you'll be constantly dipping in and out of one conflict after the next, living in perpetual turmoil. It's just only a matter of time until the next crisis comes up, the next person I have to deal with. If it's all on you, you are either going to be a fighter and a survivor or you are going to be a defeatist and a, and a bitter person. It really shakes out to one of those two, two things. And honestly, we are surrounded by people like that. Our families are full of people like that. But when you know the peace of God, when you know peace personified, who is Jesus Christ, and you walk with him, that's when you can know the peace of God right there. He sanctifies you completely, and to remove any doubt, he keeps your spirit, soul, and body blameless. And I, I love thinking about this, right? Like, there's, there's three different parts to your person right here in Scripture. Your spirit is your personality. It's your heart. It's the unique traits that God has given you that make you you. That's your spirit. Your soul is the eternal part that is God-breathed. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. I'll just, we'll go back to the beginning, right? This is where we are told that we get a soul. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And in Genesis 2, we even get more detail. Genesis 2, 7, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Humans are made with a soul that will live forever. Animals have a spirit, they have life, they have personality, they don't have a soul and they aren't made in the image of God. Just think about that. Humans are the only creatures that don't follow the laws of nature. We are above that because we are made in the image of God. Now, many of us rebel against God, and the whole spirit of Antichrist in this world is all about rebelling against God, which in the end turns you into an animal, right? Like in every way, shape, or form. The world would have you to believe that you're just a slightly more evolved animal. So chuck out morality, and it's the survival of the fittest. Go after what you want. And Satan wants you to devolve into the laws of the jungle. That's, that's where a lot of lost people live. It's, it's really no different than, than the animal kingdom out there. They've chucked out all of those good things that God has created for us and set, set aside for us. But that's not who you are. That's not your true identity. God created you to live your life in a way that glorifies him. He has given you a soul. You were made in his image. 
And so your, his plan and purpose for your life is greater than everything else he created. So we can break this down, the three distinct parts of our person. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23 breaks it down for us. Your spirit, that includes your mind and your passions. Your soul, which is the eternal God-breathed element of you that separates you from the animal kingdom. It also makes you a moral being where you can distinguish between right and wrong. That is a feature that is uniquely set aside, uniquely human, and it's from your soul. And then you have a body. Your body isn't worthless. Your body is designed by God. And your body is just as much a part of you as your spirit and your soul. All three matter. All three are connected. Your body affects your spirit, right? When you eat good food, when you exercise, you feel better in your spirit. When your spirit is crushed, it affects your body. When your soul is at peace, when your soul is transformed by the blood of Jesus from darkness into light, that affects your spirit and your body. All of these matter. All of these are connected. Now, you may be thinking, okay, nice. I get that. My mind, my spirit, my body. I need to value and treasure my body. I don't need to be ashamed of my body. I need to take care of it. But we often separate these things and we compartmentalize these things and we ignore the truth that what you're doing to your soul and your spirit and what you're thinking about in your mind has a direct result on your direct effect on your body. We can sometimes abuse our own bodies, treat our bodies poorly, and think that has no effect on our spiritual being. You, you can't think that way because those, those two things are connected. If I'm eating junk food, I'm letting my body go, I'm dressing in dumpy clothes all the time, how is that not going to affect your spirit? It will. So if I'm eating and exercising and dressing sharp, that's going to affect my spirit and the way I think, and it's going to affect the way you feel at peace, the way you interact with people. Confidence comes into play when you have a strong mind, spirit, soul, and body. Those things are obviously all connected, but don't miss the main point here. The main point about all of that, including your soul, including your body, is that he is making you blameless, right? That's the main point of it all. That's your identity in Jesus Christ, blameless. Now, how is that possible? Sometimes we don't feel that way, right? I didn't feel that way when I made a mistake and, and really screwed up the, the whole kitchen island thing. I wasn't blameless in that situation. Thankfully, I had a wife who showed me grace. We have a God who shows us grace as well, though, right? But how are we blameless? There's only one way. Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's his robes for mine. He imputed his righteousness into my life. We are never going to be blameless in and of ourselves. And this is where the world misses it. The world is delusional. It will lie to you and tell you, you are great. You can sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. You can throw away your lifelong commitment because, hey, you just changed and you've just grown to be two different people. And, you know, just you got to love yourself. That's the lie from the world. And what's the root of all of that? Selfishness. Pride. 
If your identity is not in Jesus Christ and who he says you are, you are not going to feel blameless. There's no way. Because we've all messed up. And the only way we're blameless is because Jesus died for us and he gave us his righteousness. Can I get an amen for that? Deep down, without Christ, you will know that, oh, I messed up, I screwed up. And you'll be stressed and there will be pressure, there will be guilt and there will be shame. But Jesus Christ suffered so you wouldn't have to. He took the punishment that we deserve, and we won't even be punished. If you are in Christ, you will never be punished for your sin because Jesus already took the punishment. Now, he disciplines those whom he loves, of course, but you will never face the wrath of God. You are blameless. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Let that truth sink in, in your mind, in your spirit, into your soul, and watch it bloom and blossom into your body and you'll be healthier mentally and physically than you've ever been before. And what is this passage teaching us? It's not you who did that. Clearly it's not. It's, it's his work. It's not you, it's him. Amen. Lastly, there's one more truth about God. Speaking of people now who don't remain faithful, we touched on that, right? And I, I'm sure that that uh, brought some daggers into a few hearts, just thinking about the people who disappointed them, the people who have not been faithful to them. Because people will disappoint us. And if we keep all of our focus on people, that can crush us, whether it's a spouse or a parent. But I have good news for you on that point as well. God is faithful. God the Father will always remain faithful. Number three is... He will remain faithful. Look at verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Psalm 36 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. And David goes on to say in that psalm, that God has remained faithful down through the generations. That's our God. That's who we sang about this morning already. That's who we're going to continue to sing about in a few more minutes. But he has remained loyal and true and never once, never once has God let his people down. He doesn't do it. He can't. He cannot fail. So how are you navigating this present darkness? Because I know we're talking about something that just sounds, I mean, if it's up to us and our own strength and our crazy nine to five and our crazy lives, right? Like, I mean, we're go, go, go. We can never hardly catch a breath, right? Like it's, I'm, I'm carrying somebody else's weight. I feel like I have all the pressure in the world on my shoulders. How are you ever gonna navigate all that and live your life for the glory of God and have this peace that surpasses understanding? It's not you. It's him. Walk with him. Talk with him. Lean on him. And find shelter in his faithfulness. That's who we 
are giving to people and showing people once we get that. So the best way for you to be faithful in your marriage, the best way for you to be faithful at your job to your coworkers or to your employees who depend on you, the best way to be faithful to your kids, faithful to your friends, it's to love God, to lean on him, and then let his love shine through you. We can boil it all down to simply that. Love God, get close to him, Think about what he's done for you, and then that will be contagious. If you could give them yourself, hey, that's noble, and that in and of itself is from the heart of God. I would never knock that. God will use that. It's a reflection of his heart. But I'll give you one better. Give more than just yourself. Pass on the knowledge of your God. You can give yourself by showing them your sustainer, your provider, your enabler, the one who makes you get up in the morning, put a smile on your face, and love the unlovely. You can only do that because God loved you before you loved him, when you were very unlovely yourself. You don't need to just provide meat right? You can actually teach people how to prepare their own meat. You do that when you share your relationship with God and you share Christ with them. I once heard it this way, you're not truly great until you've inspired greatness in someone else. And I like that phrase. I think, I think there's a lot of truth right there. But think about this in the light of what am I really passing on to people? Am I passing on my love for God? And of course I can't make them love God. But the more I love God and I, can sh- I, I live that out, they will see, whoa, I don't have that. I need that. That's something I'm missing. And when they see what a difference you're making in this world because of your love for God, that will point them to our great God who will inspire and challenge and revolutionize their life. I love a good recipe and uh, especially a good recipe that's, like, been handed down from, like, your mom or your grandmom, right? Like, whenever you go to somebody's house and they have, like, some amazing, amazing soup or some amazing dish, like, oh, yeah, it was, it was my grandmother's recipe. You're like, ooh. You know it's going to be a good one before you even eat it. Uh, Julie and the kids and myself a little bit have been watching a lot of baking shows lately. That's, like, our new thing. What We're watching all these baking shows. And so the kids are, like, talking about baking. Julie's already teaching these kids how to bake and and cook really well because Julie's a great cook. She's learned a lot of good recipes from her grandmother. And and it's really cool. There was a few years ago that her family gave a gift to everyone at Christmas and it was like the grandmother's recipe cookbook, specifically all of those recipes. Like That's an amazing thing to pass on, right? And I, I just can't wait to see Monroe just start cooking meals and like I don't know, three years. Like she's, she's, she's already on her way. But it's incredible when family recipes get handed down from grandmother to daughter to granddaughter to the son, like whoever it is, and maybe even further back than that. Little things like that, right, help you remember someone. It's just a recipe, but, but you remember something good that they handed down. Unfortunately, there are too many people anymore in our society 
that don't even know who their grandparents are. And they have nothing on their great-grandparents. And many times it's because nothing of lasting value was handed down. You don't have to be a cook to be remembered. It's how you live your life. That's the legacy that you will create. It's either you're going to be dependent on yourself and accomplish some great things, or you can be dependent upon the Lord and pass on things that will never be forgotten, eternal things. The people whose memory and lasting impact passes on through the generations are the men and women who know a faithful God and do everything they can to teach the next generation about their faithful God. Is that what you want? That comes from relying on God, walking with God, listening to him, letting him sustain you. And I know, I get it. When you are in the thick of it, in the here and now, right now, right? Like you're disciplining your child, that can be a grueling thing. When you're on the grind and you're dealing with people at school or at work who are just so annoying and they're so selfish and prideful and hard to work with, don't lose heart in the moment when you're in that daily, oh, I can't see, I can't see light at the end of the tunnel right here. It's just so, it's so all-consuming. Days can be tough, but those days turn into weeks and into months and into years. And in the big picture, there is no greater gift than to teach your kid about the steadfast love of God. There is no greater joy than to go into an environment that is far from God and to shine the light of God. The joy and the faithfulness that that you've seen from your God that you can pass on to another crowd who does not know him, that's going to make a mark. It's going to leave an impact. Our faithfulness of God passes on and endures through the generations. And he wants to do the same. He wants to do the same thing through you. Worship team, you can come up. I love how Paul closes this because he's practicing what he's preaching right here. He knows it's not all in, all on him. So what does he say? Brothers, pray for us. It's not all about him. He knows he needs God. And he's asking this church to take him before God in prayer. And then he says, greet everyone with a holy kiss. You know, in our culture, that's not going to be a great thing. That won't be received very well from most people, okay? <laughs> so the principle here is just have a community, have a family, right? For some, for most people, it means, like, give them a firm handshake. For some people, it's give them a hug. But we, got, we need to be careful about that. Don't, don't make anybody uncomfortable. But, but simply just show the warmth and greet your church family the right way. Have affection for them. Maybe it's even a cool handshake that you got. I love those overly complicated handshakes. <laughs> Usually it's the youth group that kind of leads the way in that. Like they're always coming up with something new. I know Billy's got a few good ones himself. <laughs> but, but hey, in this church at Thessalonica, he's saying, look, we're doing all of this. Is there all these things God's called us to do? We're going to build one another up. But look, God's going to do it. He's accomplishing the work in us. 
Love each other. Greet one another. Read this letter to everybody. Even the people who didn't show up on Sunday morning. You know what? Let's find a way to get everyone here. So we're going to read this to everyone. This message is for all the saints in Thessalonica. And we're going to close this message and this series the same way it began. Look at verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's all about his grace. The faithfulness of God sending Jesus for our redemption and our renewal, that's grace. We have to extend that to everyone in this church. about the topic of this sermon or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church you are loved